Good morning. My name is Dave. Uh, just in case you don't know who I am, I'm the student pastor here at this church. Um, very glad to be speaking this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I have, I know we took kind of like a couple of breaks and stuff, but I really loved this Roman series. Um, but that's probably because I'm a theological, like theological nerd, I guess you could call me. Um, I just nerd out on that stuff. Um, but in seminary, I had to take two years of Romans. And every other book in the Bible that we had to have a whole class on was one semester. So if that tells you how deep the book of Romans is, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. Um, so I'm going to start off with a question this morning. It's one that you've probably heard a lot over the last few years, at least I have. So are you afraid of the direction our country's going? Are you afraid of what this country and world may look like when your kids or grandkids are older? So I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old girl. So those are some thoughts that pop into my head. Now, I would say that many, if not most people are, uh, maybe not all about the same things, but I think most people are. In fact, I'd say that there is this definite phenomenon going on in the church in America today. And now, I don't think there's anything like new under the sun, so it's probably not this brand new, original, unique event or anything like that. But I've noticed how in the American church, regardless of what we may actually believe, right, and say we believe, I think many talk in a way that makes it seem that we believe that somehow sinful actions in our nation, whether by like the government agencies that actually control things or simply by individuals, will somehow hinder God's will and God's will for his church. Now, when we look at scripture and we look at history, and if we even look today at our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas at international churches, we will see that that type of thinking, that governments and sin somehow will hinder God's will, you will see that that type of thinking is Looney Tunes. It's crazy. doesn't make sense. But how often in person do you hear, or on social media, that our nation is becoming less godly, which is probably true in many ways, but they will say that sentiment, but in the vein of being very, very fearful. I hear it personally all the time. And to be honest with you, there's times where I think it, and I start to believe that. But I, then I ask, like, fearful, fearful of what exactly? <clears throat> fearful that God won't do what God wants to do, right? And again, we look at scripture, we look at history, we look at international churches and what they're facing today, and being fearful doesn't make any sense. So... I don't know when it was, a few months ago, I can't remember, but Pastor Derek preached on how during the time of the Roman Empire, um, the church in numbers just exploded. Um, and this is during the time right after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, this is despite the fact that the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, wanted them dead. This is despite the fact that the government, the Roman government, wanted them quiet. And this is obviously despite the fact that the devil wanted them destroyed. Despite all of that, the church went from basically a tiny Bible study in Jerusalem to practically overtaking the Roman Empire through faith, not like through force, um, in just a few decades. 
The same empire, okay, this is the same exact empire that was committing genocide against the church by feeding hundreds of thousands of them to lions and gladiator pits and throwing them into the gladiator pits to be killed. How in the world did that happen? How were they able to do that? Well, obviously, we're going to say the Holy Spirit, right? But I want to suggest that the Holy Spirit actually uses means. The Holy Spirit led the early church to develop such clarity and focus that they were able to overcome internal divisions and external threats to accomplish the greatest missions movement of all time. So Romans 15, that gives us a peek into the writer's heart, um, and I think he's arguably the greatest missionary of all time, the Apostle Paul. And I want to show you from this text this morning three things that God, the Holy Spirit, used in the early church to fuel a moment like no other, and despite all that the church was up against. So the chapter begins with a few concluding thoughts about what we dealt with last week, and Paul sums it up in verse 7, he says, and this is on page, let's see, 1051, if you're using blue Bibles under your seats, 1051, and we're in Romans 15. So verse 7 says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul grounds this command in the person and work of Jesus Christ through 8 and 9, and then he ends that section with this nice benediction in verse 13. And then verse 14 is where he begins a new section of thought, and that's where we're going to begin really uh, what we're going through this morning. So throughout the remainder of this chapter, Paul is going to call that church at Rome to actually partner with him in his missionary work. And that's why so many consider basically this entire giant deep letter some type of missionary support letter. And if you think about it, this is the most, at least in my opinion, the most doctrinal letter of the New Testament, but it's also an appeal for support. And I think at least it should tell us a little bit about something about how the sort of missionaries we should decide as a group to give to and to support. Ones who are very, very clear on the gospel they are pro proclaiming. And I think after 16 chapters of what Paul writes about, it's there, he, he really lays out what he believes. So Paul has spent so many chapters in this letter saying, here is the gospel I preach. Now he's about to make the big ask, but before he actually does that, he shows them what God is doing to fuel this moment, to get him fired up, to get him moving in ministry. So the first fact the first thing that the Holy Spirit was using and fired Paul up is God's present work. So verses uh, 14, starting at verse 14 here. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder. So when I was going through this, I kind of realized that a big part of my ministry work is really kind of like that. It's like the ministry of like reminder. It's not always that we're up here preaching like these grand new things that no one has learned, right? But rather to keep the word of God in front of us and always reminding us of the lordship of Christ. So continuing on, verse 15. 
because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So the Apostle Paul says, when I see you guys all being obedient to Jesus by word and deed, I see evidence of something Christ has done through me. And I think that's really important. So if you go to a church, do you want to know if Christ is actually working in that church? So ask yourself this, do you see people over time progressively becoming more obedient to Jesus, both in what they say and in what they do? If so, that is not a work of human performance. It's really, honestly, nothing less than a miracle. So we've been living here, me and my family, for almost two years, which seems impossible. It seems like a few months to me, but um, next month will be two years here at Common Ground. Um, And during that very short time, um, we've seen our adult leader team grow. We have the best adult leader team in our student ministry that I've ever worked with. Um, We have an awesome student leadership team. We've seen that grow. We've seen a number of teenagers give their lives to Jesus. Um, We've had, I don't know, 10 to 12 or so uh, students get baptized right here on a Sunday morning. Um, Christ has accomplished that. And to me, that is nothing less than a miracle. One thing I've heard here a lot at this church, um, more than any church I've worked at, especially, again, in a short window, is this. I've never grown in my faith like I have during my time in this church. Christ has accomplished that. That's a miracle. I've heard things like my kids are coming to Christ, teenagers maturing, my marriage is stronger. I read the Bible and I understand what it says now. I'm growing in my concern for the loss and my desire to serve. Christ has accomplished that. Those things are miracles. So that gives us great confidence to press on for missions because we can believe, okay, well, God has done it here. Maybe he desires to also do it over there and over there, right, as well. So to create this movement, the Holy Spirit also used God's past faithfulness. Romans 15, 19 says, By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So from Jerusalem in the far southeast, Paul traveled through Asia Minor and Macedonia and Greece and even to Illyricum, and that is a span of about 1,400 miles. And he says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul considered his mission to be fulfilled in a region that was as big as 1,400 miles. So you might ask, well, in what way is it fulfilled? So it was like every person in that part of the Roman Empire now a believer? No, not close. You might ask, had every person in those regions then heard the gospel? No. But every person in those regions now had churches established that functioned as missionary outposts that were now making disciples in that particular region. Everyone from walking distance could go to a place that was discipling people. So Paul then considered his ministry preaching the gospel, establishing churches, confirming doctrine, which is what we get from Romans for sure, um, appointing elders, and then moving on. 
And he says, I fulfilled that calling. All of those things have been fulfilled all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now, there are two types of missionaries. We have the Paul type and we have the Timothy type. Paul's calling was to strictly establish new works. And Timothy's calling, which was a pastor, one of the elders that he appointed to a church, um, was to strengthen works already established. So in the same way here at Common Ground, we focus on international and local missions. Now, some will be focused more on Paul missions. We are working with a missionary in Guinea, Africa. Um, hopefully, we will be going on a mission trip either there or somewhere next summer. Um, and our missionary's name is Joanna. She came out a couple years ago. Um, well, since I've been here, so like a year and a half probably. And her team right now is being used by the Holy Spirit to establish new works there. Others will be focused on Timothy missions. So that's why we partner with over a dozen uh, local organizations, nonprofit schools, other churches, to strengthen the works that are already currently going on here. So Paul says, I fulfilled my calling in this region. And that might lend us to ask, oh, well, what would you expect he's probably going to do next then? If he's finished, what then? So Romans 15.20 says, and thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul had seen God's faithfulness in his past missions, his past endeavors, and he took from that the boldness to continue to go further and further. So Paul presses on now at this point to Spain because of God's present work, because of God's past faithfulness, and because of God's future guarantee. So Paul quotes from Isaiah 52 in, in the next verse, verse 21. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So what is Isaiah 52 all about? So basically, it's the prologue to a pretty well-known passage, the suffering servant passage that's in Isaiah 53, the next chapter. In Isaiah 52, God is speaking, and God is saying, I will do something. So we're going to read from Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15, and this is speaking of the coming Messiah, which wouldn't have been for hundreds of years after this was written, but it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, which means Jesus was beaten, will be beaten at this point, so badly he barely looks human. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. So Paul reads this, okay, this ancient text, and, and he says, I've got to leave the Middle East, and I need to go into an area that has not heard the gospel yet. And why? What was it about this passage that seemed to motivate Paul to leave the area and go to Spain? Well, God says in Romans 21, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. This is God making a promise, a commitment, a guarantee. This is God giving an oath. This is God now un under obligation to his own word. They who had no news of him 
shall see. So there are lost souls in Spain who do not have a gospel witness, but they shall see the truth. There are people in Spain who have not heard anything about Jesus, but they shall understand. There are lost souls in Spain who have never heard his name. They don't know that Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't know that he came here and lived a sinless life. They don't know that he suffered and died on their behalf for their sins. They don't know that he was buried and that he rose three days later for their justification. They have not heard any of these things, but they shall understand. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great pastor from back in the day, said uh, this awesome quote, Oh, I love God's shalls and wills. There is nothing comparable to them. Let a man say, I shall. What is it good for? I will, says man, and he never performs. I shall, says he, and he breaks his promise. But it is never so with God's shalls. If he says shall, it shall be. When he says will, it will be. I love that. So Paul reads this, uh, 52.15, Isaiah 52.15, and it gives him this boldness, this missionary boldness. Now, I think Satan would be saying to Paul at this time, they shall not see. They are not going to understand you in Spain. This is a foreign religion to them. They have nothing and want nothing to do with you or your Jesus. All right? But Paul hears the word through Isaiah the prophet, they shall see. So yeah, there was a lot of people talking to Paul at the time, saying things like, you're acting foolish. Don't you know the state of the economy right now? The saints in Jerusalem are starving, and they have great needs. And that was actually true. It was not going well for them um, economically or with food. And they would probably say things like, we can't worry about the mission field when there's so many needs back at home. But I think Paul, again, hears the promise of God through Isaiah, they shall understand. So what will you do with that passage? Does it speak anything to you and me today? Well, Paul, I mean, this was hundreds of years before, uh, you know, he's writing this letter. This is an ancient passage to him too. He uses this ancient passage. He brings it into his current call from God to do missions work. What does that look like then for all of us? Well, I hear it and I hear it saying that the work will be accomplished. And I hear it saying that God has guaranteed it with his sovereign power. Does that mean that every single person we ever evangelize to will hear and instantly believe? Absolutely not. Paul went from a bunch of different towns like we talked about and was stoned and left for dead. He was in prison several times and his life ended after being beheaded. So no. However, some will. So look at what God did through Paul. Christianity is now almost strictly a Gentile faith, which is part of where my heart's at for uh, the Jewish people. But um, it is almost strictly a Gentile faith now. And he's the one who started that nearly 2,000 years ago, starting to preach to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And in that passage, I hear God saying, but if you go, you go with my promise that your work will not be in vain because I will use it. I hear God saying, if you give your time, energy, money, you are making a guaranteed investment. Because an investment in missions is guaranteed by who? The all-powerful God of the universe. So Revelation 7, 9, and 10 says, John looked and behold, a great multitude 
that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Right there is a prophecy and a promise that has not yet been fully fulfilled. But God is saying he will save those from all peoples. It will happen. So don't imagine God is like sitting on the throne going, man, I really hope this all kind of like works out, you know, like nervously waiting to see if some people will trust in Jesus, right? No, God is saying it shall happen. It shall happen. So Paul is the one who's planting, and as he says, Apollos waters, and God gives the increase. It's God's work being done. So Paul reads Isaiah 52 again, and he said, okay, I must do what I'm called to do now. And I do it boldly because I have this guarantee from God. Because of God's unfailing promise that the work will be accomplished, that's where God calls me and he calls all of you to join in that work. Now, I want you to see this because this is my favorite part, speaking of being a, a nerd about this stuff. Um, so when, you know, they wrote the Bible, they didn't write it with all the numbers in it, right? That was compiled later to try to give us some organization to 2,000 pages of the deepest things ever written in the universe. So um, we're really supposed to read Isaiah 52:15 and kind of go straight through 53:1 as like one complete unit, Okay. So Isaiah 52, 15 says, they will see, they will hear, they will understand. Isaiah 53, 1 says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So all of a sudden, the speaker here changes. It's no longer God speaking. Can you guess who's saying this? Well, chapter 53 is the confession of those that the truth of God came to. Okay, this is not prophecy. If you notice, it's actually like past tense and in like a plural form, it's saying us. Isaiah 53 is the post-conversion profession of faith from those who receive the truth of the promised Messiah just a verse earlier in Isaiah 52. So do you know what that means? That this is the confession of Jews. This is the promised confession of Spaniards. This is the future confession of of all those that God desires to reach through this church from Carson City all the way to freaking like Guinea, Africa, right? The promise that some will hear, some will understand and believe. So what or who do we fear can stop this? We've seen through the word, even just a little bit today, governments cannot stop God. We've seen that culture can't stop God. For those who don't know, the Roman culture was pretty bad, like, and it did not stop God. That's our mission. Now I want to bring it a little bit into our context before we finish. So God's past faithfulness. I didn't get to see a lot of that here, right? Because uh, I've only been here for two years, but I've heard a lot. Derek and Callie starting a Bible study in their home over time, seeing people, uh, more and more people come, more and more people come to Christ, baptisms, um, more people becoming like Christ, leading to another building, and then this building, um, our awesome team of elders, and our amazing staff that we have. I've worked on multiple staffs at churches, and I've never worked with a staff like this. I absolutely love our team. 
And then I look at God's present work. Now, I have friends um, who are pastors all over the country. And the past two years has been universally the most difficult seasons of ministry in all of their lives, um, mainly due to COVID and all the things that that created. But despite all the hiccups that that has made, God is still actively working in the lives of so many that have come to this church and joined God's mission here. Like I said, in the last two years, just seeing more people come here, more students giving their lives to Christ, more and more people of all ages getting baptized. I've seen and heard so many of your stories of what God has done in you and through this church. And then we have God's future guarantee. What is our guarantee? It is the exact same guarantee for Isaiah and Paul. People are ready to hear the truth. God's work will be accomplished. We need to daily go into our messy, broken world and be used by God to tell people about Jesus Christ so that many will be saved. And this is our purpose despite government. This is our purpose despite culture. We are very blessed to actually be in an unchurched area, surrounded by a population that largely has not heard the correct truth about Jesus. But despite what we might think is actually kind of going against God's church in this area, I trust, and I think a lot of you do too, trust and believe that the Holy Spirit will use us. And he will use us right here and right now to fuel a movement of God's people. I trust and believe that the Holy Spirit will give us clarity and give us determination to overcome any internal divisions and any outside threats. I trust and I believe that, we will hear, that they will hear and that they will understand and that some, if not many, will believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you for deciding to use us um, in this grand story that you've been telling since the beginning of time of who you are and who we are and how much you love us despite so many reasons that you shouldn't. And God, you want to use us for your will and your purpose. You want to save souls. You want to have people uh, who are broken, who are missing out on their purpose in life to find it in you, to be healed. God, we know that you want to use all, all of your church worldwide, and that includes us. God, lead us. Lead us well. Guide us. God, we are willing and ready to be used by you. We don't want to run and hide. We want to be like the Apostle Paul. We want to be like the prophet Isaiah. We want to be sent right here and abroad. We want to see you do your work through us. And God, you said it shall happen, that some shall listen and hear and understand and believe. Use us to do that, God. Pray this in Jesus' name.